Hi, everybody. My name is Melissa Groman, and I want to welcome you all to the On Recovery Audio Library. And I'm very blessed today to have as my guest Jerry Helms, who is a noted speaker, a life coach, and the author of a wonderful book called Trust God and Buy Broccoli. Hi, Jerry. Hey, Melissa. How are you doing? I am very well today. Thank you. And I understand that you are speaking with us today from beautiful California. I am. In fact, I'll be in California for the rest of the year. So, yes, right now I'm about an hour south of uh, San Jose. So beautiful there. What a good Mm -hmm. setting to have a conversation about your book and about Mm -hmm. recovery. I I want to just share with our listeners a few blurbs from the back of your book, Trust God and Buy Broccoli. Um, You're chuckling because you know know where I'm headed. Um, Because I just am so um, moved by how succinctly you put out there from your heart your experience. Um, And the blurbs that really jumped out at me, you know, are that readers will find this book for them if they've started a diet in the morning and binged by lunchtime, Mm -hmm. uh, if they realize that food rules their life, and if they felt desperate like there is nowhere else to turn. Mm. So this really gives me, and I think it gives anyone who is really struggling or suffering or who has... um, has been caught or is caught in the tornado of binge eating or emotional Mm -hmm. eating or an eating disorder, Um, Mm -hmm. the idea that you understand what it's like to suffer and struggle. Yeah, I do. And, you know, in the uh, what I refer fondly to my 23-year eating career, (laughs) I (sighs) vacillated from overeating to... Um, anorexia, bulimia, and exercise addiction. So I really have a a good uh, scope of background <laughs> information before I finally was able to stop those cycles. So can you say more about when you said you were finally able to stop? Because I think that a lot of my listeners are struggling in that mm. stopping and staying stopped. What does it yeah. take? Well, you know, I I really in 1993. I, I mean, it was a pivotal year for me, Melissa. I I really got close to suicide. I mean, I had a doctor tell me if I didn't change the way I was eating, I might not live to see my 50th birthday. And I was 43 at the time. And but I I was so my life wrapped around food, either eating it or hiding it or dieting or weighing myself, you know, looking in the closet for the next size up. I mean, it was just totally immersed in food that I left his office and I went back to one of the popular weight loss uh, programs and I prepaid for a whole year and left there and binged. I went to a yogurt place and binged. And I figured, uh, gosh, if I was going to die, I may as well die happy. That's the way I was thinking by that time. Isn't that bad? You know, um, yeah. I was able to talk to a friend at work about that, and I, I just blurted it out one day how miserable I was and suicidal. And she, she actually gave me a book written by Kay Shepard. I don't know if you're familiar with her. It's called Food Addiction, The Body Knows. Yes, I am familiar with her. 
Oh, I read that book, and it was the first time anybody was actually addressing in print what I was doing, all the crazy things with food I was doing. And, you know, it's really, it's, it's, we isolate when we do these things and pray nobody knows. But, you know, when you weigh... 250 pounds the world knows what you're doing you know it's so true and that book really helped me change the way I looked at what I was doing and for me I discovered I really had a food addiction uh if to nothing else sugar and then also in years later discovered that wheat was also a problem for me and when I took those out of my diet and started to eat uh, Kay Shepard really is a proponent of weighing and measuring your food, too. I was able to lose over 100 pounds in a year and keep that off. Now it's off for 20 years. You know, that's really remarkable. And, you know, I was hoping you would share with our listeners a little bit more about the idea of addiction to sugar itself and how, yeah. you know, how it creates a physical and a mental obsession. And I think a lot of people have the idea that you can't live without it. You know, I can't can't do it. You're right. Too hard. So what can you, you know, expand on Well, yeah. Well, Kay's book is real clear. Well, she wanted you to give up a lot of things, but sugar was the first thing I could. I thought, well, I could do that, you know. And I gave up what I call recreational sugar, the real obvious stuff like cookies and cakes and stuff like that. But then I really started reading ingredients and all. And as I really went through a period of not feeling good when I took sugar out of my diet. And that, that was, I mean, physically, I, I, uh, I had headaches, uh, tightness in my chest, uh, very tired, sluggish. And it, it took almost two, three weeks till I started to actually feel better. But the catalyst for me was after about four weeks of not eating sugar, refined sugar, I started having some memories from childhood <laughs> when I, what I discovered was sugar is a pretty convenient little drug for kids, you know. It helps you, it gives you that one little ah moment so maybe some trauma in your life might be eliminated. And then you chase that for the rest of your life to try to recreate that. You know, that's what, and that's basically what happened to me. So I ended up, uh, also going to counseling for several years after I, you know, this sugar came out of my system, I really, you know, saw some things I needed to deal with and didn't deal with them. See, that's one thing I've discovered about when you start using any kind of addiction, and I've done a lot of research on it now. I would not consider myself a professional or an expert, but I can share my own experience about this stuff. But, um Addiction allows us to do something that alters our mood so we don't have to deal with what's going on at the time. And the tr- and what ends up happening is, like, for me, instead of I, – I never felt much after I got in this cycle because instead of – I mean, when you feel, like, happy and you eat or you feel sad and you eat or anxious and you eat, all of a sudden you don't feel happy, sad, or anxious anymore. You feel hungry. So whenever I had a feeling of hunger, I ate. So I didn't deal with much of the crazy things that were going on in my life. So as I came out of this fog of sugar, um, 
you know, 43 years old and then going to therapy, I finally was able to deal with some things that I never dealt with before. Yeah, you know, it's such a a, a good highlight of the way that sugar acts like a drug. And I think that, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's sometimes at the get-go or at the beginning or, you know, even in the midst of a recovery process to try and decide the role that sugar really does play. And I think nobody can right. decide for you. You have to really mm-hmm. take some no. quiet time and an honest look and say, you know, what if, what if sugar is a real big piece of the mm-hmm. puzzle here that's making me crazy? Mm-hmm. Um, and I heard recently in a, a definition of addiction that said, you know, that addiction is doing something over and over again, that even while you're doing it, part of you really doesn't want to be doing it, but you can't mm-hmm. help it. Well put. Well put. You know. You're absolutely right. So how does one get through the initial pain of Mm -hmm. accepting that there's a certain powerlessness over, Mm. not powerless over what we can do about our situation, but powerless over the state that we may find ourselves in? Right. Well, there's a lot of ways to break that. Like I said, when I first got started, uh, I... Um, I did end up getting counseling, and that is uh, that really helped me. I I went to a counselor for five years, and now I would say I'm pretty stable. And but you know, even even today, like if I get into an anxious situation, this one kills me. Sometimes I'll reach in my purse for a cigarette, <laughs> and I haven't smoked. I haven't smoked longer. Two years before I gave up sugar, I gave up cigarettes. So wow. my, you, what I think it is is your body gets so used to, uh-oh, here comes a feeling, let's deal with it, that instinctively you go back to what you learn. Yeah. And, you know, whatever it is, you know, it could be something even more severe like alcohol or, you know, drugs. Some people shop. I have a, a friend who whenever she uh, starts, you know, like gets laid off a job, oh, I'll just go shopping, you know. So right. it's anything we do to distract us from what's really going on in our life is could be an addiction. So you talk in your book um, about expressing anger and you talk about mm-hmm. fear, and I know that um, in 12-step programs also and in eating, disco- even eating disorder recovery work, we talk a lot about fear-based thinking. And mm-hmm. I'm sort of connecting the dots to you saying that we can't nece- we need relief and we can't mm-hmm. necessarily any longer reach for our drug. When that stops mm-hmm. working or it's beat the bejeebies out of us too many times and we just know that there has to be something different as painful mm-hmm. as it is, that we have to find a different way to deal with what comes up when we're not using a drug. Right, right. So well, what are your thoughts on, on that? I I think we recover from addiction in community in some way. I, I yeah. 100% agree with that. Uh, you know, I'm a life coach, and I uh, I do some groups uh, with uh, a few different other professionals on um, support for changing lifestyles when you are, uh, you know, for someone that's had trouble losing weight. But Oftentimes when I'm coaching, I will direct a client to one of the 12-step fellowships to just check it out. Like there's, I guess the most popular one is Overeaters Anonymous. And their website, if I, could I share that? Please. 
Yes, it's www.oa.org. Org. And um, they they have one thing that's great about OA is it's free. <laughs> it doesn't yes. cost any money, you <laughs> right. know. But also they have a way you can share with other people who are going through what you're going through. And if you, you know, if you can't get to a local meeting, like if you're in an outlying area, like right now where I'm, where I'm staying in our motorhome, the nearest town is 20 miles away, and the population's 200. So oh. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out in the sticks, you know. You are. But OA has not only what you call person, what face to face meetings, but they also have phone and online meetings. So you can get the support that you need to uh, to recover from your uh, overeating or whatever. Yes, and there are specific now, more and growing, uh, 12-step meetings specifically for um, bulimia yeah. and, and anorexia. Yeah, ABA also has a website, Anorexic Bulimics Anonymous. That's yep. another place you can go for support if you feel like, you know, that's the area where you're having the greatest problem. So let me ask you, pick your brain uh, a little bit about a lot of times when people think about getting support and taking another step or the next right small step um, just just to move forward. There are a lot of feelings of shame and, again, of fear. And we can't recover alone. No one recovers in a vacuum, um, as as you just really laid out. But it's scary, or it can be. Um, If you're in the throes of the eating disorder or the addiction, it can be Mm -hmm. both shameful and fearful to either even picking up the phone where you're totally anonymous and nobody even knows you're there, but to walk into a meeting. What do you think about that? Well, that's ingrained in many of us from early childhood. Like, I I was always taught to be self-sufficient, and we don't need anybody, and to don't let anybody know what's going on, you know. So that familial um, message is a hard one to break down, and <clears throat> that you should know better, or you shouldn't do this, or you should do that, you know. I like to say we should all over ourselves, you yeah. know, Melissa? So I know it. Just to, to say, you know, I, and even uh, once some of my clients have been introduced to some sort of support like the 12-step fellowships or group support or something, um, even in the case of like where a per- person's psychologist has put them on mood-altering drugs, they get to a point where they say, well, I feel better. I don't need that anymore. <laughs> and they stop. <laughs> right. So, I mean, the point is to recognize that, you know, wars are won with an army better than a kid with a slingshot. I only read of that being successful one time. Right. (laughs) Way long time ago, right? Yeah, yeah. So anytime we can get a lot of support around around ourselves to uh, make a change, it's, it's more successful. Like I do group coaching and, uh, you know, one group I run with a a fellow named Sean Anderson. Sean, I used to interview him sometimes. He weighed 505 pounds and he wrote the book Transformation Road. So Sean and I do a group together. And the the changes we've seen people make just because somebody said, wow, you did it or don't worry about it, I did that too. It's just amazing. I mean, when you just don't, 
you get out of that isolation. Right. And I think that one of the things that, you know, I'm I'm imbuing from what you're saying is that, mm-hmm. you know, you're not alone. And there mm-hmm. is really something very powerful and very healing in right. realizing that the things that you do with food that you think are so secret and so shameful right. and so right. crazy that mm-hmm. there are others who understand very deeply what it's like to do those things mm-hmm. and not only to, to do them and to be in pain and out of control with them and hopeless and swamped, you know, but also that there's a path out. Um, it's not a path you walk alone, but there really is a way to have a different life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And that that and I uh, I mentioned that I had gotten suicidal, and it's really yeah. true. I mean, I got to a point where I almost, uh, I mean, I I binged at on the all the way home from work, and there's a chapter in my book about it, and um, and got home, and uh, I was married to an alcoholic, <laughs> and he uh, he was drunk, and he was hung over, and. You know, he went to bed, and then he went to work as a bartender, and I, mm-hmm. I just binged my brains out for hours. And, I mean, I was so full, I couldn't get off the couch. And I thought, you know, there's got to be a better way to live than this. But I didn't know what it was. And, you know, and I got very close to blowing my brains out. And that's how bad that isolation can get, to a point where yeah. we feel hopeless, you know. And, and by ourselves, it becomes a big shame issue. Yeah, we get really caught, I think, in the shame and in the mm-hmm. self-pity and in thinking that we just can't. You, you know, I've, I've had a lot of young women and women in my uh, practice, so I do a lot of eating mm-hmm. disorder work and addiction work, say, I, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't. And to step over the, the can't line into mm-hmm. I won't and maybe I will, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a big step. Right. Right. And I coach, I've coached a lot of people who have been in the same weight loss uh, problem that I was in. And, you know, it's just being able to recognize taking one little step. All right, if you can't do that, what can you do? You know, what, what step can you take today to make a change, you know? And, and people will be able, they'll own what works for them. In coaching, you know, we just really work with what this, the, we believe that the client has the solution and we just try to help them get to that for themselves, you know. And right. and people will tell you what they need to do, but they can't recognize it sometimes on their own. You know, it's a, a, a really good point to highlight that recovery is a very personal and individual path. Mm-hmm. And it's not a one-size-fits-all, mm-hmm. but that even within a support network, you know, once you mm-hmm. start to reach out, you can map out an individual truth, and and it may be evolving and unfolding mm-hmm. in front of you, but you can you can walk your own way but still move forward. It, it is possible. You've done it. Right. Many have done it. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I really I like that you used that word recovery because uh, it is when we recognize food addiction, at least, as a disease, then that takes a lot of the shame out of it because, um, you know, I have arthritis, and I'm certainly not ashamed of that. Right. But why, So why would I be ashamed about having an eating disorder? Because I, I truly believe that I am a food, you know, I have food addiction. Right. And um, 
that I heard once that recovery is really about getting people to take action that they think won't work. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> and is it's true. true. It's true, you know, because some of the things that uh, people have told me to do, I thought this is crazier than an old hoot owl, but I've done right. it anyway, and it worked, you know. It's amazing. I think it's difficult to believe that there is something better if you're really stuck in the emotional pain of right, the hopelessness hopelessness and self-pity. Mm-hmm. And, and you're also, I, I think that when the food is out of control, I, you know, one of the worst feelings in the world is being stuck in the problem and not being in the solution and being yeah. in that space where there's only the binging and it's out of control and there's only that really gross sickness feeling and that fear and living in that as the problem and not and i think there's almost instant relief by stepping into what a solution and one of your solutions, by the way, in your book that, you know, you talk about and you say, oh, here it comes, hang in there with me, is God, because it's the name oh, of the yeah. book, yeah. God. Trust God and buy bro- broccoli, yeah. Buy broccoli. So what, say a little bit uh, to us about trusting God. What does that mean? Well, I, for me, um, I really turned my back on organized religion uh, in my 20s when, the God that I grew up with, which was, uh, you know, fire and brimstone, if you don't do this, you're going to hell, that kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that stopped working for me, and I and God wasn't acting like Santa Claus. He wasn't giving me what I wanted. <laughs> so I finally said, the heck with all of that, and turned my back on it. And um, I also did some reading on on uh, spiritual things. Um, oh, gosh, I'm trying to think of. Um, the Spirituality of Imperfection is a, a one really good book that really helped me to see, uh, right. you know, that I don't have to be perfect for one thing, you know. And uh, the 12-step fellowships, um, they, the the book they used in Alcoholics Anonymous is called Alcoholics Anonymous, and they call that the big book. And uh, I would suggest that I read that. That's another thing I've read. And in that book, uh, the first fellow in Alcoholics Anonymous, his friend told him to choose his own concept of that's the most bizarre thing I ever heard of. But it helped me to segue out of uh, that fire and brimstone concept into something I could live with. And from there, that feeling of being alone slowly went away. So I don't know if that's, uh, you know, however people can find some kind of strength either within themselves or without is helpful. And sometimes it could be as powerful as just associating with people who have the same situation that you do. Does that make sense, Melissa? You know, it makes so much sense. And I think that there's a lot of hesitancy. I find it in my own work and, you know, that that there's sort of a a fear of developing a concept of God, of of, um, a relationship with God, but that there's um, not yet a knowledge at certain points in recovery that there's a real relief in saying, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not all up to me, it's not all about me, Mm -hmm. and I can ask 
something greater, you know, I always use the analogy of radio waves that we don't we can turn a radio on and hear the radio but we don't see the waves and right. I feel like it's a similar thing with with spirituality mm-hmm. and with God that if we're willing to tune in we can mm-hmm. get some enormous relief and it may take mm-hmm. a little practice and a little bit of openness but that this is part of the solution is just being mm-hmm. willing to consider that right that step of into God and into, you know, some spiritual connection. Right. You know, uh, and spirituality is really a frame of mind. It really is. You know, um, I did end up going back to church. And and I just, if I could tell you a quick story, I had a, 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 I was going to this little church and, I was sitting in the church in the morning, and the sun was just shining through the stained glass window behind the altar. And I was just thinking, oh, my God, that's so beautiful. And looking at the colors on people's faces, you know, like the purple cheeks and the red hair, you know, from the stained glass window. And I was just marveling at how beautiful that was. When the woman sitting beside me said, you think they could put a shade on that thing. And I was like, oh, oh, just like what you did. You know, and that is what happens when you have a spiritual shift in your life. You start to see beauty and things around you, and you take the focus yourself. Because focus was she was irritated by the light shining through the window. The focus for me is what was happening from that light. And, you know, I, I really believe that we are surrounded by spiritual moments but until our heart's open to that. And the only way to get there is to stop focusing so much on yourself. So you're open to see what's going on around you. Like this morning, uh, my husband and I were were still in bed, and I knew I had to get up because I knew we were going to be talking, and um, one of the dogs had to go out. So I said, well, I'll do it. You stay in bed, I'll do it. So I threw on a robe, and I took the dog out. And I got a gift for that. I got out of my own self-centeredness, and when I went outside, I was standing, we have bicycles, and one has a flag on it with red on it. And all of a sudden, a little hummingbird came over to that flag. It was only about a foot away from it. So when it flew away, it went right by my ear, and I could feel the whir of its wings. Wow. Like, now, that's a spiritual moment because I got out of myself. And if I'd have said, will you take the phone out, I'd have missed that. Yeah, it's it's really, you know, an amazing reminder that when – you're stuck in the food and in the physical discomfort and the emotional pain, that you can get sucked into the darkness of that and that there oh, really yeah. is light around mm-hmm. you. But when we're so busy being, when we're caught in that and, and it's mm-hmm. so dense that we miss what the light is. We, we want to pull the shade. That's an amazing story because we're so irritated yeah. by anything yeah. good. And that it is possible, what a strong message, that it's possible. You know, when you're in that mm-hmm. darkness, I think it's like having a headache. You can't imagine not having a headache. Yeah, but exactly. when you step out of it, you there is beauty and there is relief mm-hmm. and there's peace. And when you're caught in the, in the cycle of the addiction or the eating disorder, those moments, they're hard to come by, but there are more of them mm-hmm. when you take mm-hmm. steps. But I want to get back to something you were really just saying in your story, which is the idea of service, Mm -hmm. of getting out of yourself a little bit and how that actually helps. Yeah, yeah, it really does. When you're, uh, you know, I, well, I was in a, I had a 23-year career of uh, 
uh, almost 30 years actually, of uh, being a, a community association manager in the state of Florida. And I managed some pretty high-end communities. And um, I, I just, you know, I, I got up one day and I thought, oh, my God, if I have to tell another person in a million-dollar house to clean their driveway, I'm going to shove <laughs> the pressure cleaner right up the wazoo, you know. <laughs> And I came home and I told my husband, I said, I can't do this work anymore. Well, Melissa, I was at the high end of the industry and I was making some pretty good money. And my husband was like, oh, my God, what about the money? And I said, you know what? I'm going to trust God that God's got something better for me if my heart's open to receive it. And Mm -hmm. I just, I gave notice at that job and I just started to pray. I said, God, please show me how I can make some money and do something that I feel like I'm serving people, and I, I, I like it, you know, because I didn't like what I was doing anymore. And within a month of that, uh, a friend introduced me to life coaching, and it wow. just completely changed my world. So when, you know, when you, it, it segues from what we were talking about earlier about finding that God in your life to to trust that there's something better out there, you know, there's something better out there. And You'll find it when you start looking for it. But when we are so self-focused that all we see is what we want and what we're trying to get, and food addiction is at the core of that. It's, you know, it's completely absorption with how am I going to get the food I need so I can feel comfortable. Right. And that's, you know, segueing out of that, and it takes a long time. I mean, I've been, I've been... <clears throat> I mean, I haven't had any sugar now, Melissa, for 20 years. That's really you know? And I also don't Jerry. eat wheat because, uh, right. well, that's another story. But, um, you know, it's just, it's a process. And people don't change overnight. I mean, this group coaching that Sean and I are doing, we watch people evolve from the diet mentality to healthy living, you know, whatever that is for them. <clears throat> well, it's such a lovely point to to hear is that it it is an instant and and I know that I have a tendency to want things now and you know and mm-hmm. I also know usually the more urgent it is the more I should wait and slow down. Yep. Yep. But it is a process and right. but there are markers along the way that mm-hmm. really do bring us relief as we go. But mm-hmm. I like the reminder that it's a process. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to get Sorry, you, you that immediate gratification you talked about is is uh, uh, at, at the core of this whole thing too. And I have a a friend Cheryl Touchton who is a, a spiritual um, leader. She and she one of the things she taught me was whenever like I had to do something right now, she'd say to me, "Now Jerry, how many babies are going to die if you don't do that right now?" Wow. And I was like, what? And you know, bearing that in mind, that's influenced me so many times today on decisions like where I think, okay, now, if I don't do this right this minute, how many babies are going to buy? You know, we found this beautiful table that we liked in a store uh, when we were shopping with our kids uh, about a month ago, and it was very expensive. It was like over $300, and I, but I loved it. And I said, and Dave said, well, let's buy it right now. I said, no, I want to keep looking. Maybe I can find something similar that doesn't cost as much money. Well, don't you know, we finally went to uh, Ikea and found this mm-hmm. table that had, you know, half the price. And I had so much fun putting it together. So it's that breaking out of that immediate gratification that sometimes it's the decision to wait it can give you gratification. Like, yeah. okay, my decision for right now is I'm going to wait, you know, and that's so foreign. 
You know, but as long as you can make a decision, you can feel some comfort. And then when I start feeling anxious again, I should have bought that table. No, no, my decision was I'm going to see. There's something better for me if I wait. Right. I've always liked the little catchphrase, wait and pray, wait and pray. Uh Yeah. Yeah, you know, and it so. feels urgent. I think when mm-hmm. you know when you're in in the thick of the pain or the compulsion, you know, or the addiction mm-hmm. is really speaking loudly. It feels like you have to do it now or you'll die. Yep, yep. Um, and you know, traveling in a motorhome, which is what we're doing, uh, has really helped a lot with that too. Because it's not a matter of if something will go wrong or or when something's going to go wrong. It's like it will go wrong. And uh, whenever something would go wrong, I would feel this panic, like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? We're going to cost a lot of money. We're not going to be able to do this. But I've learned now when something happens, oh, well, there's a solution for that. You know, we just got to figure out what it is, you know. And it always, it's never as life-shattering as my head tells me it is. My head immediately goes to, oh, my God, we're going to die, you know. And the truth is, it's just a bump in the road, you know. You just have to find a way around it, you know. Yeah, I, so, I once had a mentor who used to say the panic is optional. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're going to feel it, but it's what you do with that panic. Like, you know, if you really look at it and you don't act on it, you're just like, because the decisions I make in panic are never good. Right. You know, rarely, I should say. I shouldn't say never. I should say rarely good. Right. And that it yeah. is it is possible, it is possible to slow down and to consult trusted mentors and coaches mm-hmm. and therapists mm-hmm. and sponsors and and pray, and that it really does work mm-hmm. um, and I want to also just go back for just a second to food itself, and I want to mm-hmm. just note that in your book, you have recipes, and yeah. And I wanted to just say that one of the things that I think comes up a lot in recovery is a fear of deprivation. Mm-hmm. And you and, and there's an abundance of life, as we've been talking about. There's hummingbirds mm-hmm. and beautiful light, and there's such an abundance in life. And you talk about a, a abundance in your book. But mm-hmm. your food is good. You're not deprived, actually. Oh, no. mm yeah, and, you know, I, I wrote, I, I mean, I, I eat differently, actually, today than I did in the book. I'm actually eating more vegetarian, so a lot of the added some carb foods back in, and I've taken some of the meat, animal protein out. So it's all a process, but the key that stayed the same, I get the volume from the vegetables. And, you know, if you have a choice, Melissa, between a salad and a, a dessert, what are you going to take? Right. But if your choice is between a beautiful salad and beautiful cooked vegetables, then the choice becomes different. (laughs) Right. It does. And that that Uh having a food plan and which is a whole another conversation maybe for another time. But that Yep, I like that too. I don't like that word diet because it has the word die right in it. So I don't use that word. (laughs) Right. A plan of eating and, you know, Mm -hmm. a way to cut out the noise from uh, from the head mm-hmm. and have mm-hmm. it be simple but that doesn't mean that the food can't be enjoyed and and good and whole and feed the body and the soul that you're not walking around deprived um or frightened of food anymore either no nope, no nope, i'm not no nope. yeah. i can eat i can eat anywhere i mean i can get what i need anywhere and i don't eat any uh any wheat products or sugar but uh my husband to go to McDonald's, you know what, I can get what I need there. 
That's really very encouraging. I'm I'm looking at our time, and I'm sadly thinking that you know it's it's time to wrap up. So, Jerry, I just want to thank you again for being with us today, and I wanted to just ask you before we wrap up, if you could just say a few encouraging words to anybody who's struggling at the moment. Mm. Um, get help. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Get help, you know, whatever is comfortable for you. Uh, read Kay Shepard's book, read my book, call Melissa, you know, go online and find some support for yourself, you know. If you're, you know, if you're really struggling with anorexia or bulimia, those can take you out a little faster than overeating. Get some professional help. I mean, there are treatment yeah. centers all over the country that help with that. And, right. I, and I'm proof, too. I mean, I used to weigh 200. When I w- hit 248, I just stopped weighing myself. And, yeah. you know, I went up two more dress sizes. And then something shifted for me, and I got the support I needed and from reading a book. And um, and I I was able to lose over 100 pounds. And I'm, you know, I'm going to be 64 on Thursday, and I think I feel better and look better than I ever have in my whole life. <laughs> and you certainly sound terrific. And you know, it, it's I think that you're living proof, and there are a, there um, that there it is possible that recovery is is definitely doable and possible. And you keep mm-hmm. at it. Surround yourself with support, with voices of recovery, and do the next right thing, and it happens. So. Mm-hmm. I really want to thank you again. I want to let our listeners know that they can find you also. Um, you do phone coaching, and they can find you mm-hmm. at lifecoachjerry.com. Right. So um, you you can um, find Jerry at her website, and there's also a link on recovery, hope, and healing to both Jerry's book and to Jerry's website if you want to find her that way. So, Jerry, thank you so much again. Thank and you, Melissa. It was great talking with you this morning. Likewise. Okay. God bless and take care. You too. Thank you.